A new privacy-oriented phone has been released. The US and EU are discussing data flows. Lots of data breaches, lawsuits, Papa John's spyware, and more. Welcome to Surveillance Port 106, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And I'm Henry from TechLore. You sure about that? You sounded so unsure. <laughs> All right, this week, friendly reminder, uh, Monero and Patreon are the best ways to support us. Monero is a privacy-focused cryptocurrency. If you pay, we don't see anything about you, but we do see your donations. They are very helpful and appreciated. If you want to get a, a few perks in return, we have Patreon, which is fiat currency. It's recurring. We actually just updated Patreon to do, uh, it bills you on the day you signed up. So like, if you signed up uh, the day this comes out, then every month on the 9th, you'll get your bill instead of like this weird... A lot of people, if they sign up the end of the month, they get it looks almost like they get double billed because they bill at the first of the month. It's just a whole weird thing. So it's a little bit smoother of an experience on your end. But anyways, if you want to keep surveillance support going for a long time, help us stick around, then one of those two ways would be an amazing way to support us. And we are very appreciative of that. And we got to hit our next Patreon goal. So help us hit that next goal. We're almost 39 there. people. 39 people is not much when this gets thousands of views. So. Yeah, right. This gets we have what, like 10,000 subscribers almost. Come on. Come on. 39 people. All right, with that, we will jump into our headline story. We're gonna start off with the Simple Phone. This comes from the creator of the Simple Mobile Tool Suite on Android. Uh, I personally never use these, but I've seen them recommended a lot. These are apps like Simple Calendar, Simple Notes, and they're found in the F-Droid repository, so they're de-Googled. And it's just, you know, alternatives to everyday phone apps, calendar, notes, contacts, gallery, all those kind of things, but they're supposed to be a little bit more privacy focused. Oh, and they're also available on the Play Store. I didn't know that, but I see that in the notes. So some of the good sides about this phone, it is three years of guaranteed updates at a minimum, which is, for an Android is not bad. Um, that's, a, I, I feel like that's becoming a little bit outdated. I know Apple offers like ungodly, like six, five or six years. Uh, Google recently said for Pixels, they're gonna do at least four, so. Uh, three is a little bit behind, but also, again, there are some Androids out there that only get a couple years, so... Google, Google does five now. Oh, Google does five. Okay, so... Google does five, and Apple is up to, like, seven on some devices now. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so compared to the flagship phones out there, it's it's kind of bad. But as, as far as, like, inexpensive Androids go, that's not too bad. Three's okay. Likewise, the specs are mid-range. Uh, they only do 4G. They don't do 5G, 5G, which I know in the privacy community could actually be a win for some people. Uh, it's a lower spec CPU, only four gigs of RAM, 128 gigs of memory. It does support SD cards, which is nice if you like to store a lot of photos or music or whatever. And the battery life is, how much does that translate to in hours? Do you know? It doesn't directly translate to hours. It's 4,500 okay. milliamp hours, which can mean a lot of different things depending on the efficiency of the phone. So. Okay, that's fair. But uh, the six and a half inch screen size... <laughs> I'll, I'll let right. you go ahead and rant about that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a six and a half inch screen size, which if people follow anything I do on the internet, you know I am furious. Like, I remember when the Nexus 7 tablet had a seven inch screen. And now these phones have six and a half inch screens. I want like a four inch phone. But that's just my personal rant. Okay, so the operating system is going to be based on uh, this new OS from a project called the Good Phone Foundation, which we don't actually know anything about because when we clicked on the website to try and see more about it, it just has a coming soon page and there's a countdown timer. At the time of this recording, it's 23 days until there's more information. It's supposed to be open source, but again, did not find it in the, the simple tools GitHub repository, so maybe once it's released, they'll go ahead and open source it. It will be a degoogled phone, so it will include Micro G for app compatibility, and it will be based on F-Droid, or uh, it'll default to F-Droid. And unfortunately, one more ding against it, it is based on Android 11. So we're already out to Android 13. I think that came out, what, like two months ago or something like that? Yeah, and the ROMs, the main other ROMs already have it, so you're yeah. already two major feature updates behind on what other ROMs are already on. Um, don't quote me on this. I might've been misunderstanding or he might've just been dumbing it down to my level. But I did talk to an Android developer one time who said that every release of Android, like 11, 12, 13, the developers get less and less access to data. So like, for example, I'm, I'm probably messing this order up, but like, you know, when Android 11 comes out, now they can't see like the IMEI anymore. And then when like 12 comes out, now they can't see like, I don't know, like some other hardware identifier. So yeah, that's no, the thing. This this is really accurate. So there was a researcher called uh, something Spiegelman, I believe, and he's from Berkeley, a professor from Berkeley, and he pretty much was analyzing uh, app workarounds to still be able to collect information like MZ numbers and stuff to bypass permissions uh, using side channels on Android devices. And that's something that was very much the recurring theme is every major feature update better locks down what these apps can do. 
Um, the project that they were maintaining was called App Census, but uh, I don't think their database is still live anymore. So, yeah, just fun info for people. I mean, yeah, you know, when you're just talking over drinks, I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds reasonable, but I never actually got around to fact-checking it. That's why I was like, don't take my word for it. But okay, sounds like he was right, so. The device is 400 euros, which is still cheaper than most Pixels, but Pixels do have longer software update support. So uh, the value proposition there is probably a worthy consideration for people who care about that long-term stuff. Uh, you can also pre-order now and it'll ship by November 1st. So that's actually really soon. Uh, it's not a super long wait. Uh, the good here, in my opinion, and I'm sure uh, we'll have Nate cover his thoughts too, is that this is a genuine project. This isn't a scam like the Freedom Phone. And the people behind it have a history of actually caring about fast privacy and security. The bad, there are still a lot of questions we have and other people probably have regarding the hardware and software. And I think I, I personally can officially say that this is announced that I've known about this phone, uh, or at least that they were working on it for some time now. Um, so hopefully we'll get to get our hands on it at some point at TechLore to actually see what it's like to use because that's what I care more about. Um, I'm open to the idea, uh, but it's gonna be probably hard to justify this for people willing to flash their own ROMs and DIY something that they can accomplish more for for less money. Um, I just think this phone's probably not the target audience. I, I think, okay, okay. I just think that people are, that who are gonna, <laughs> I think people who are going to DIY and flash their own stuff is probably not the target audience for this device. Um, and I guess I'm left wondering who the target audience is. Also, the only main question I have is, does this have verified boot? Because if it doesn't, then that would be a pretty big issue for me. I agree with everything you've said. Uh, that's funny that you've known about this for a while, Mr. Insider Information. Um, there's so many projects that I can't talk about. It's really sad. Interesting. <laughs> uh, I guess I, in answer to you, like, who's the target audience? I do think there is a really good chunk of people out there who would be interested in de-Googling and de-Appling, but don't necessarily know about flashing phones or don't feel comfortable doing it. Because even I, you know, the first phone I flashed, like I've, I've mentioned before that I have a lineage phone. And for me, that was an experiment. Like that's not my daily driver. I don't use it for anything sensitive. That was literally like my mom had an old phone lying around in a, in a closet and she's like, hey, do you want this? And I looked it up on lineage and saw that it was flashable. And so I'm like, yeah, let me practice flashing. And turns out it's actually pretty easy, but even me, like I'm relatively tech savvy. And I was like, let me run through this once or twice before I completely screw this up on like a pixel or, you know, a good phone and brick it. So I, I think there's a lot of people out there who would be interested in a pre-flashed phone. My question is why do all these, these pre-flashed projects seem to be like, like, why is this based on Android 11? Like, why can't they at least do 12? Why is it so far behind? Yeah, I think that's a valid question. Um, and the reason why I say I don't, because what you're saying is completely accurate. It's just that like, with the two main ROM options right now, the first one, if you become a supporter of the project, they ship you a pre-flash phone. And the second one, there's resellers for that ROM that come with the phone pre So there's already okay, but options to, to buy. True, but to counter that, the first one you're talking about, they ship you a phone that's like only got a couple years of support left on it. I agree. And then the second one, like the people who do resell it, at least the ones I've seen, like astronomically jack up the price and they pretty That's much true. only give you one choice of model like you can get the pro that costs as much as like an iphone pro and you know in in reality if you bought it and did it yourself it would cost half as much but i don't know yeah well i guess there there is an audience for this then if we're even having this debate and i'm sure someone who's listening is going to be like this seems really cool um the only question i have is does it have verified boot at this point because if it does if it does have verified boot, I think this is genuinely a great thing to just recommend to people. If it doesn't, I still think it's worth recommending, but with a giant asterisk that it's probably not going to be in many ways as secure as even a, 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 like a generic pixel that you buy from a store. My my money is, uh, it's uh, this is just an opinion. I have no proof of this at all. I'm going to say it probably doesn't have verified boot because I'm willing to bet this is just a fork of lineage. That's most likely what it is. Um, yeah, just because the whole based on Android 11 thing. So yeah, based on Android 11 and comes with micro G like, yeah, everything yeah. seems to point towards lineage at this point and I'm with you, but also there are things like divest OS. So what if we see something like divest, divest OS forked? We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> we'll so, find out. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> we'll the find out whenever this, they open source it. <laughs> yeah. My, the whole point is I think if anyone already is calling this a terrible phone or if anyone's saying this is incredible, I, I, I just don't think there's enough information to to even make that call at this point, so. I'll also throw this out real quick just to, cause we know we're gonna get it in the comments. In a perfect world, if somebody you know is like, yeah, I wanna de-Google or de-Apple, ideally it would be nice if you could help them get a Pixel and flash something on it. 
but assuming you can't do that, either they're too far away or they can't afford a pixel or something like that, then yeah, if this has verified boot, this might be a really good alternative. But like you said, real, real too early to say for sure. We're just saying it could be. Here's some thoughts. We'll find out. All right, sorry for taking so long on that story, but there was a lot to unpack there and a lot to discuss. And now that that's out of the way, we're going to jump into our data breaches. We're going to start with the Russian retail chain DNS, who has confirmed a hack after data was leaked online. So DNS stands for Digital Network Systems, and they are Russia's second largest computer and home appliance store chain. There are not many details at this time. All they said was that it was the result of a, quote, exploited security gap, unquote, in the company's IT systems. The attackers did not steal user passwords or payment card data because those are stored on separate systems, hopefully in a hash format. The hacking group NLB team has already started offering the data for sale on dark web forums, so they're probably behind this. They claim that it contains 16 million records, including full names, usernames, email addresses, and phone numbers for both customers and employees. If you're a Russian citizen who's somehow watching this, because I think they blocked YouTube over there, be sure to keep uh, keep an eye out for that. This might be phishing stuff in the near future. Um, the city of Tucson, Arizona in the US, there might have been some questions over how to say that before we recorded this, has disclosed a data breach affecting over 123,000 people. They haven't explicitly said what was impacted, but it could contain sensitive info like names, social security numbers, driver's license or state ID numbers, and passport numbers. The city's offering 12 months of free Experian credit, credit monitoring as well as, quote, guidance on defending against identity theft. Great solution. Our next data breach comes from 2K Games, who warns users their info has been stolen following a breach of their help desk. So if uh, if you haven't contacted help desk, you're probably fine. 2K is a gaming company, for those who don't know. Um, I know them from Civilization VI, but they've also been involved with really big games like Borderlands, NBA 2K, Bioshock, a whole ton of games. You've probably heard of at least some of them. Data included email addresses, names, and quote, other sensitive information provided to 2K support teams. They didn't specify, I would just assume that means anything you provided to their support team. This appears to be the result of a third-party compromise. I'm going to quote the article. The threat actor illegally obtained credentials belonging to a vendor 2K uses to run its help desk platform, unquote. So, again, probably third-party. Right now, their advice, uh, they don't think anything has been compromised. There were some phishing emails that originally went out, and then they locked those down and said, we got it. The only advice right now is just change your passwords and make sure you got two-factor enabled out of an abundance of caution. This is an update to an earlier story from Labor Day weekend. There was a ransomware attack against the LA Unified School District school system, and the ransomware gang has leaked the data. So the superintendent has launched a helpline for parents with questions, and law enforcement is analyzing the extent of the data. They refuse to pay the ransom, and that is the consequence to that. Ultimately, in the long run, that's probably the right move, um, as it'll decrease the risk of these ransomware attacks happening, but uh, that is an unfortunate Side effect in the short term, and the, we always talk about how it's unfortunate that students uh, who are minors are put in these awful positions and how we don't really treat this data <coughs> properly. I was ranting about that when I was taking notes for this. We, we only want to protect the children when it benefits us. Yeah, we have to ban end-to-end encryption. Never mind the fact that schools, I, I didn't put it in the, the <laughs> notes, but they said in the article that uh, this ransomware gang, uh, Vice Society, I think it was, they've already leaked eight other schools and colleges in the U.S. this year alone. But, you know, WhatsApp is the problem. Sure it is. I was, I was wanting to see how easily I could get a rant out of you. Very, <laughs> very easily. <laughs> you know, I, I, totally off topic, I feel like this is proof that I'm not anti-child. Like, I don't have kids of my own, but I still read these stories, and I'm just like, why do we care so little about kids? Um, we got another update for you guys. The Optus rants, uh, excuse me, Optus data breach. They have confirmed that 2.1 million ID numbers were exposed. So just kind of one of those things that we're learning more and more every week. Originally, we heard it was, what, 2 million people were caught up and then it was 10 million people. And now we know that an adi- or some of those people had their data, had their ID numbers exposed. Uh, this includes government ID numbers. I think they said passport numbers. Yeah, so... Could be used for identity theft. Um, Just be on your guard. Thank you guys who did write in and told us you can freeze your credit in Australia. So if you're an Australian, be sure to go ahead and look into that and do that. And the final data breach of the week, it's not quite a data breach, but it kind of is. Facebook has warned that 1 million users whose logins were stolen by scam mobile applications. So the company says it identified over 400 malicious apps disguised as games, photo editors, and other utilities, and that it's notifying users who may have unknowingly self-compromised their accounts by downloading those apps 
and sharing their credentials. They say that they reported the apps to Google and Apple and got them mostly taken down, but it's still not a great look that they made it onto the stores in the first place, especially on Apple's end, um, as one of the reasons why Apple is such a lockdown ecosystem is because they're able to vet these applications from the App Store. Um, the problem was worse on the Play Store, but this still impacted iOS. Your reminder that you should try to stick to official apps and sources and never share your login credentials for third-party applications to another site. Don't input your Facebook information on another app that's not Facebook. All right, with that, we'll move into companies. We're going to start off with a story about Meta, who has settled a lawsuit for a, quote, significant sum against other businesses that were scraping Facebook and Instagram data. So this lawsuit centered around allegations from Meta that two companies, Brand Total Limited and I'm going to screw this up every time. Unimania Inc. were scraping data from Facebook and Instagram, which is against the terms of service. Uh, Brand Total apparently catered to marketers and provided analytics about various advertising campaigns, while Unimania seemed to focus more on users and like offering different features, like the ability to watch uh, Instagram stories on web or like anonymously, things like that. So my my takeaway here was that it's ironic that Facebook stalks you and scrapes your data. Like we've covered multiple stories in the past about how st- even if you don't have a Facebook account, they're still following you. But then when other people scrape the data from Facebook, they're like, hey, no, no, bad. And it's like, come on, man. Our next story comes from Google, who has debuted a new Nest doorbell, faster Wi-Fi router, and a redesigned home app. Um, To be honest, we're kind of just sharing this story because uh, like a week or two ago, we talked about Amazon and how they unveiled like new ring stuff and just kind of more privacy invasive. So we're just being fair and showing a light on Google, who didn't quite roll out any like significantly worse things, in my opinion. But they did still roll out some new stuff. Um, the worst of it, in my opinion, was the Nest Doorbell, this, which is not a new product. They've had a Nest Doorbell for a while. Uh, this one's based on the Matter 1.0 standard, which we, we didn't include that story because, to be honest, we can sum this up really quick. It's basically Google, Apple, Amazon, and Samsung all got together and agreed to make a standard framework for IoT devices so that they can all be interoperable. They also announced the Pixel Watch, which this original article from TechCrunch like totally blew over except for one paragraph at the end or one sentence. So we'll include an article from Wired if you want to know more about the the Pixel Watch, like specs and whatnot. There's rumors that it might be flashable with a custom operating system. So we might see custom OSs for Pixel Watches here in the near future. And that could be a good wearable choice for Android users. Uh, Even if it's not flashable, we're a big fan of using like Google Pixels, because then you're not sharing data with like Samsung and LG and all these other companies. And same thing with the watch, you know, you're sharing data with less people. Also, uh, Pixel 7 was officially released. And so I'm sure we'll see updates from ROMs in the foreseeable future about supporting that. It still will be a flashable phone. And it's just a matter of making sure it works. Uh, As far as I know, one of them, I mean, they're not even shipping these phones out yet. So these ROMs are gonna have to get the phones first before they even start working on making things work. Next story, spyware maker Intellexa was sued by a journalist. This is very to the point. A Greek journalist was spied on by his government with a commercial spyware product called Predator. This product is sold by a company in North Macedonia called Citrix, Citrix, Citrox, which is in turn owned by an Israeli company called Intellexa. The lawsuit filed by them takes aim at them and its executive alleging a criminal breach of privacy and communication law. The objective of the suit is to spur an investigation to determine whether a criminal indictment should be brought against the defendants. Um, This is good news, but honestly, this is like whack-a-mole. We take down like one of these uh, commercial spyware companies and just another one pops up. Um, It's not a great situation right now, and I'm really curious to see where this is going to head in the future. Our next report says big U.S. banks are stiffing account takeover victims. So this is the result of a fraud investigation involving Zelle from Senator Elizabeth Warren's office. Uh, Zelle, for those who don't know, is like a money sending app here in the U.S. It integrates directly with your bank account. So like you can send people money near instantly, kind of like Cash App, Venmo, stuff like that. It's just I guess it's a little bit more official because it was run by the banks. They found that in 2021 and the first half of 2022, just shy of $26 million, I think it was like $25.9 million, in fraudulent payments was made in the US, but quote, in the vast majority of these cases, the banks did not repay the customers that reported being scammed, unquote. We're sharing this because me personally, I often hear people shrug off stuff. Like I've suggested like privacy.com to people before. And they're just like, and it's whatever, you know, if somebody steals my card, my bank refunds it. Like I've lost my card before and the bank will send me a new card. And it's like, okay, but clearly that's not always happening. And again, I'm a big fan of like, just avoid the headache in the first place. So just try to be proactive if you can. Obviously not everyone has access to things like privacy.com, but try to be ahead of the curve and plan for the worst. 
sounds like the people you say that to haven't actually had to deal with like a fraudulent transaction on a debit checking account. If it's credit, <laughs> then yes, but like if they actually had to deal with going through a bank to refund something on checking, there's no way that they're going to want to like deal with that again because it can take weeks to get the money back. Yeah, I uh, back many moons ago, I had my debit card number stolen. I don't know how. I probably just being reckless and put it in somewhere. And it took me months to notice that they were siphoning off just little payments here and there, like $5 here, $7 there. But when I went back and added up over all the months, it was like, God, it was like a couple hundred dollars. And I think I only got like half of it back. And by that point, it was just kind of like, whatever. Like I was the idiot that took so long to notice it. So I didn't really argue it. But yeah, like they only gave me like half my money back. Crazy. Yeah. And they probably don't even have to, like they probably have insurance on that money anyway. Yeah, right. So, Like, no loss to them, whatever. Yeah. Well, the final company news of the week. The former, and this is an update to something that's been going on. So the former Uber security chief has been found guilty of hiding hacks from authorities. He was found guilty on one court of obstructing the FTC's investigation and one count of misprision. Misprision? I don't know. I've never heard that term before. Hey, we both don't know. Um, which is act... What that is, we don't know how to say it, but what it is, is acting to conceal a felony from authorities. So it sounds like it's less about the breach itself and more about hiding it from the government. Um, but that's still a start, and hopefully that'll keep other people accountable. That'll take us into our research section, and we only have one story this week. It's um, sort of research. Well, we'll just we'll get into it. It says, proposals for scanning encrypted messages should be cut from the online safety bill, save researchers. I'm sure that will not be a hot take with this target audience. Uh, this article is really more outlining several different objections to the calls for content scanning that have been proposed. They specifically focus on the UK's online safety bill, but I mean, the articles are pretty universal, I think, or the arguments I think are pretty universal and could apply to pretty much anywhere in any, you know, like Apple CSAM thing. They specifically focused on one paper that argues that AI-based scanning would result in too many false positives to be feasible, at least in the case of the online safety bill, because, you know, government is somehow always struggling for money. And so they would have to hire more people and additional labor to investigate all of the various false positives that originate. And most of them would be false positives anyways. They also claim that requiring companies to handle it themselves, like in the Apple case, would also be quote, ineffective and impractical. The article notes that GCHQ on the other hand is arguing that it is totally possible to scan while still preserving privacy and security. Though the article did not expand on their claims. I don't, I don't know if they actually did in their statement, but the article didn't include that expanse if they did. The paper instead advocates for easy reporting tools and swift, decisive responses to such reports. So basically they're saying instead of scanning everyone's messages, you should allow people to be able to report content and then you should respond quickly by examining the content. And if it does violate issues, you need to take it down and respond accordingly. Like that'll be more effective than all this automated scanning. It also argues for the use of other warning signs. One example they give is that uh, violence against women is usually a predictor of other were like more violence. So I don't want WhatsApp or Signal to have access to my criminal history, but I digress. Um, and they advocate for local intervention rather than mass online surveillance. So overall, probably not really a controversial take around here, but it is nice to see like an actual research has been done on this. With that, we'll move into the politics section and we're gonna start off with um, an interesting, slightly big story. President Biden has signed an executive order aimed at the legal reboot of EU-US data flows. I'm gonna quote the article for the first couple paragraphs because I think they summed it up really well. US President Joe Biden has signed an executive order attached to re-upping a flagship data, a flagship data transfer agreement with the European Union with the goal of making life easier for businesses that need to export EU user data to the US for processing. The White House announced the development in a statement today saying that the executive order on enhancing safeguards for United States signals intelligence activities would direct the steps that the US will take to implement its commitment under the EU US data privacy framework as the new arrangement is being called. The new framework is intended to replace the defunct EU-US privacy shield, which was invalidated by the bloc's top court back in July 2020, and its much longer-lived predecessor, Safe Harbor, which was struck down by the criminal justice, what is that, CJEU? I think that's, I don't know, that's a court in the EU. Back in October 2015, following the 2013 disclosures of US government surveillance programs by NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden. Unquote. So the new executive order also attempts to create safeguards like, quote, requiring that such activities be conducted only in pursuit of defined national security objectives by taking into consideration the privacy and civil, civil liberties of all persons, regardless of nationality or country of residence, and being in a manner proportionate to that priority. It also mandates the, quote unquote, handling requirements for person da uh, personal data picked up by Signals Intelligence and allegedly strengthens enforcement around noncompliance. I'm a little cynical here, so in my opinion, like, this is just a personal opinion, 
you can strengthen the enforcement on paper all day long, but unless they're actually going to enforce it, it doesn't mean anything. And the NSA, at least according to Snowden, historically does not have a history of enforcing policies. So I, I think, honestly, I think that one in particular is just kind of a dog and pony show, but we'll see. Uh, it also creates a multi-layer redress mechanism for EU individuals, including a civil liberties protection officer at the officer of the director of national intelligence and an independent data protection review court to oversee that protection officer. So at, at least in paper, it sounds like they're trying to be a little bit better with data. The proposal still has to be approved by the EU. And I don't know, we'll see. Because uh, yeah, privacy, uh, was a privacy shield? Yeah, privacy shield was killed because the EU really felt like intelligence, like NSA and CIA and their signal gathering was a threat to EU citizen data. So, I mean, I don't know. Well, I, I guess we'll see what the EU thinks of this. This is kind of just a quick read. So there's new federal and state court rulings that show courts are divided on the scope of cell phone searches. There's debate over this, so we're just clarifying from privacy lawyers themselves. Generally speaking, in most places, police need a warrant to search your phone. However, even then, what they can access varies widely. Some jurisdictions allow for everything, while others set limits on the type of data or how far back they can look. It's just a good read if you're in the U.S. and also kind of speaks to the general lack of understanding on the issue of um, being able to analyze people's phones. And most likely, people will just scrape everything even if they're not allowed to is what I'm going to guess is going to happen in most situations. So it's just an interesting read. Our next story comes from the state of Arizona, where the attorney general has announced an $85 million settlement with Google over a location privacy lawsuit. The AG's name is Brnovich. And, uh, you know, this lawsuit alleged that Google was tracking location data even when users opted out and turned off the little button. And then continues to allege that they went on to use that data to generate more than $130 billion in revenue. So personal opinion, I don't know if an $85 million settlement is really a win, but I, I, I guess it's something. I don't know. The attorney general has warned politicians after confirming Integrity Commission could access encrypted text on WhatsApp and Signal. This one I saw shared around a lot, and it was another, oh my gosh, Signal is compromised moment. And it's not. Um, so this is Australia's Attorney General Mark Dreyfus. Did I do it? Probably probably Dreyfus. Maybe I almost did it. We're going to go with Dreyfus. <laughs> that sounds better. And it's going to go with the theme of me getting it wrong. So he has warned politicians to watch out after confirming their encrypted text messages on platforms such as WhatsApp and Signal could be tapped by the federal government's new Integrity Commission. The consensus, the consensus of everyone about this is that the article is very badly worded. What they refer to is the fact that commission authorities can legally obtain physical access and possibly even take control of someone's device remotely, if that is ever something that happens, with a warrant. And at that point, things can be decrypted, including stored messages in Signal. This is why I like to have disappearing messages on Signal on my phone, and no other messenger is going to be able to protect you from this. It's just if someone gets access to your phone, where the end-to-end -end encrypted messages were sent to, they now have access to your phone. Uh, this is why endpoint security is really important, and it does not mean end-to-end -end encryption is broken. It's just all that end-to-end -end encryption protects is things in transit between you and another person. That is all, people. And you know what's funny is, just to, to jump in on that, we've seen this before. Uh, like, actually, when this article was posted in my Matrix room, we talked about this. Trump's lawyer was, like, investigated for something. I don't remember what, because this was several years ago. And apparently he used Signal. Surprisingly, a lot of politicians use Signal, in case you guys didn't know that. Um, him and his lawyer use Signal, which is fine. I'm not complaining about that. But when they investigated him, they got a warrant to search his phone. And so, of course, they accessed all the Signal messages. And everybody was just like, oh, no, Signal's been hacked. And it's like Signal wasn't hacked. They literally opened up his phone. Like, if you open my phone right now, guess what you're going to see? All my freaking Signal messages. Like, and obviously, at that point, that doesn't make Signal hacked. It just means you open somebody's freaking phone. It's also fan – for anyone who's, like, following this, this is fantastic news because the only reason they would ever have to do this is because they can't access the messages via other methods. Did you ever read the, the Vault 7 CIA leaks all the, like a couple years ago? Yeah, that was fun. Those were my favorite because like they were literally just like like trying to figure out how they would get around Signal's encryption. They were basically just like, well, what if we put a keylogger on everyone's phone? <laughs> and it's like just is some of the ideas they were coming up with. Like it, it's like when your boss is like, there's no stupid ideas. And it's like they were just throwing things out there. Like, yeah, we can't break the encryption itself. So what if we do something that's like 50 times harder and like, 
like just ridiculous to implement because that's still easier than breaking signals encryption. Yep. And I, I you know what? Uh, I love it. We can we can take this so many directions too, but I think it speaks to like the higher threat models you have, someone can break something no matter how secure it is. There's always a way around it. It's just a matter of how much time and energy people are willing to put into it. The point is for like 99.99% of people watching this content, if you're on signal, you're good. You don't have to worry about this stuff. Kind of like take pride in the fact that you're probably never going to have to be in a position where this impacts you. Some people, yes. And some people, that's a very real threat. And um, it's a very different threat model that most people never have to work with. But it's so bizarre to me when people are like, oh my god, I can't believe Signal doesn't protect against this one attack that's only going <laughs> to impact like 10 people in an entire country. So, <laughs> And no other... Yeah. And, and then you ask, like, I can ask them too, like, okay... Signal didn't protect them from this. So what would have? And it's messenger like, pigeons. Yeah, messenger pigeons. <laughs> Session doesn't have a phone number, though. And it's like, okay. <laughs> it doesn't... Hey, guess what you're going to find if you unlock my phone right now? All my session messages. <laughs> right. Um, but I highly recommend disappearing messages on any messenger, not just Signal. I use them on pretty much all my contacts. I set mine to four weeks because it's not like a serious issue for me. But at least I know that, like, I just don't have a long list of every message I've ever sent to someone. Um, yeah. And neither does the other person. So I really recommend disappearing messages. Yeah, they're the best. That'll take us into our free and open source software section. And we're going to start off with some, I'd say, good news from Simple Login. Simple Login has announced a bug bounty program. They are offering bounties for a wide array of vul vulnerabilities. Um, in my opinion, and, and, like, I could be wrong because I don't really understand vulnerabilities and cybersecurity, like, on a deeply technical level. But in my opinion, I think they lay out a very clear standard on what does and doesn't qualify. Um, you know, they're very, I, I don't know. My point, it, it seemed very clear to me. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but yeah. And they also list out prices for each vulnerability. Uh, the lowest they will pay out is $50 for a minor vulnerability that doesn't really impact anything, but is technically a vulnerability and a maximum of $10,000 for serious vulnerabilities that compromise user data or security. So um, whether you're a fan of Simple Login or not, if you're looking to make a few bucks and you want to help make the project a little safer, for those those who do use it, be sure to go check that out and get yourself some money. Debian, the Linux distribution, has chosen uh, a reasonable, common-sense solution to dealing with non-free firmware. Did this article come from a third party or from them themselves? This came from Pharonix, so yeah, it's a little self-serving. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, For the is, record, though, I, I think they're correct. It, they I, do, correct. I do agree. I just thought it was funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's a little bit like, patting yourself on the back. Yeah, I'm thinking of like the, the Obama uh, medal meme right now. <laughs> I um, love that one. <laughs> So this is an update to a previous story. Pretty much, for those who don't know, uh, Debian has a very strong focus on uh, free software. A lot of Linux dist distros do, but especially Debian. And what we mean by free is just no proprietary bits and all that great stuff. So Debian, in order to fix the problem, because a lot of things are still reliant on proprietary firmware and software, for better or for worse, um, they've now decided to start maintaining two different Debian installers for people who are getting uh, on Debian. One with only free firmware and another with non-free firmware. This is going to create more work for them, but it will give users a very easy choice um, regarding which uh, version of Debian they want to install. So this is cool. Um, that's really the story. Our next story is way over my head, as usual. And so Henry gave it to me. Uh, Linux 6.0 has arrived with support for newer chips, core fixes, and quote-unquote oddities. Uh, so there's a lots of lots of fixes, including, quote, a patch that prevents a nearly two-decade slowdown for AMD chips, unquote. So basically, they made AMD chips a little faster. Intel Arc GPU support in laptops. That one is experimental, for the record. Uh, drivers for 4th-gen Intel Xeon server chips, 13th-gen Raptor Lake and Meteor Lake chips, AMD RDNA 3 CPUs, Threadripper CPUs, uh, Epic EPPYC systems, audio drivers for several AMD systems, early support for ThinkPad X13 ARM-based Snapdragon chips, and... Much, much more. That was just the bits that didn't go 100% over my head. So, um, yeah, 6.0 is out. It comes with a lot of really cool hardware fixes. If you're a Linux user, especially if you're on one of these systems that's a little wonky, be sure to check that out. That might be helpful for you. And then just on that note, uh, Rust has been merged into Linux 6.1, which I think is still in testing. The article didn't actually confirm that, but I would imagine. Um, yeah, so Rust is going to be added to Linux here very soon. Like, it's been added in. It's in testing. And I'm sure we'll see it roll out very soon. And the final open source story 
Intel laptop users should avoid Linux 5.19.12 to avoid potentially damaging their displays. Very bizarre bug for sure. Um, for people who want to make sure they avoid this problem, make sure you're updating to 5.19.13, which has been released and reverted the problematic patches. With that, we'll move into Misfits. And uh, this is a really interesting story, actually. It says, this surveillance artist knows how you got that perfect Instagram photo. This comes from a project uh, being called The Follower, which uses various public-facing webcams to track people who are posing for social media shots. But yeah, so the artist behind this says they're trying to demonstrate, quote, both the artifice of images on social media and the dangers of increasingly automated forms of surveillance, unquote. Which I agree with. I, I know this is a little off topic, but I'm a huge fan of remembering that social media is the highlight reel. You're not, people don't typically post about their bad days or their failures. So don't use social media as an actual gauge of what's going on in someone's life. And, you know, for the record, there is no expectation of privacy in public. Like once you step out your door, it, it, you kind of can't control who's going to see you and what they're going to do with that. But at the same time, people should still be aware of how pervasive this tracking is. This guy doesn't even, you. these aren't his webcams. He didn't ask anyone to set them up. Uh, as far as I could tell from the article, he's not actually paying for access to any of them, like any kind of subscription service. He's just bouncing around to all these different, like, kind of like how some, uh, I know there's a lot of zoos out there that'll have like, you know, we have a webcam set up so you can watch the pandas any time of day or whatever. Like, it's kind of like that. Like, he's just going around finding people like, here's a camera that watches Times Squares 24-7 and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's just, it's everywhere. And this guy's just for free pulling this data and finding people who have posted online and be like, oh, hey, look. Here's a picture of you on a webcam posing for this photo just to kind of show people like, yeah, everyone's always watching, man. It's, it's pretty wild. Um, it's a little bit of a longer article, but it is definitely worth taking the time to read. This one, this one we enjoy because, you know, we, we post content on YouTube. So there was a poisoned Tor browser that tracks Chinese users online history and their location. So this came from a Chinese YouTube channel that talks about Tor and they pretty much posted in the description a link to download Tor. Uh, which was a malicious version. I'm actually uncertain if this was done on purpose or accident, but either way, it's not good. Just before I go into like a personal side of this, make sure you don't take any download links at face value. Always go through and try to get links yourself from original sources and also check the checksums if you're able to. Just always be on guard for this stuff. Also, personal note on the Techler side of things, this is why we've never posted direct download links on anything. Some people on our tour tutorials and on other tutorials we've made are like, why don't you post the link? And it's like, because it's a huge risk for, and here's just to outline this, two fun possibilities to throw your way. We could get fished ourselves when getting these links. Maybe a fake website runs ads on search engines and we accidentally click that before um, we publish a video and we put that in the description. Um, another one is the download link that we originally posted maybe they get a new website and the domain changes and maybe someone else gets control of the old domain that we still link to and then they redirect people to a malicious version of a download. Um, these are both incredibly unlikely and it's not likely to happen, but it's just a demo why we wouldn't risk something like, like this and how you really shouldn't trust other people to have the correct links for you to download. Um, and just a final note here, Chinese viewers and people in other censored locations, probably like Iran right now, you can directly email the Tor project and they will send you an executable. So there's no need to download anything from any YouTube channels. And our final story, the headline says Papa John sued for wiretap spying on mouse, uh, on website mouse clicks and keystrokes. So a Papa John's customer is suing Papa John's, alleging that they broke the U.S. wiretap act by snooping on the way he browsed their website. They are being accused of using session replay software, which records and phones home everything a user does on the site beyond what, uh, beyond what fetching pages and placing an order would normally submit. For instance, it tells Papa John's where the mouse is moved and clicked and what's typed into the page. The info can be used to figure out where users get stuck, bail out of a sale, get lost, and so on. I just, I had to share that one because on a personal note, I love pizza, like, I love pizza. I think it's proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. And I'm sad that not even pizza is safe anymore. Just, you can't trust the pizza. Such a shame. All right, so the Q&A, we kind of talked over how to structure this. So I have a personal story to this Q&A. And then Nate is going to kind of give the more uh, actionable takeaway advice for everyone. So the question is from Petrified. And again, this is from one of our patrons. If you want to ask us a Q&A... Uh, join our Patreon so you can be a part of this. But pretty much they asked, have any of you ever had to teach privacy, security, and FOSS to a kid or ever encountered a person who wanted to set their kid up with a phone configured for all of it? 
Um, and I actually have stories for both of them. So at my previous university, I helped out with a program where essentially we taught cybersecurity and programming to elementary schoolers. And we actually went there and we would teach these children, and we had this whole program set up, um, how to code. And part of the games that they would code would teach them cybersecurity and privacy concepts. And first off, kids nowadays, I, I know for me, I'm not even, I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination, but when I was in elementary school, I was still learning how to type. Kids nowadays are like computer whizzes. And um, it was just wild to see them be able to understand programming so easily. And they're only like seven or eight years old. Um, but I think for them, the most, the, the things that mattered the most were like, hey, this is why it's important to protect your passwords because your Steam account that you use for gaming can be compromised and you're going to lose all your achievements. So it's less of like the financial risk and less of the identity theft types of risk and more of like what actually matters to a, ch to a child. And I think children understand the concept of hackers and that hackers are bad. And so it's very much a good versus bad thing in their minds. And I had a lot of success with it. And I think a lot of the kids took at least something away from that whole thing. Regarding the latter part of the question, uh, setting up a kid. So like there was one client that I worked with in coaching and they had children. And I, I wish that I could almost just get them on here and talk about their experience. But it really seems like for them, it was they, it looked like they just had a very good relationship with their children to be able to have these discussions in a very real way. Right. It wasn't just a, hey, you need to do your phone like this because of X, Y, Z. It was like, hey, identity theft is important. And like, I want to make sure you're safe. So let's make sure that we do just a few things. You can still use Snapchat, but let's make sure we sign up for X, Y, for it in an X, Y, Z manner, pretty much compromising with, you know, what someone's going to care about. That's been my stories. I'll take, let it, I'll let Nate take over the rest. <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really deal with kids a lot. Um, for the record, I don't dislike kids or anything. I just, I don't have kids. I don't really put myself in any situations where I'm around kids very often. Uh, I do a lot of construction adjacent work. I really hope there's no kids on the construction site. I, I agree with what Henry said. I think, um, you know, something I've, I've mentioned all the time is when it comes to, you know, people always ask like, well, how do I make my family care about privacy? And it's like, you have to identify what's important to them. And, you know, for some people that's identity theft, for some people that's, uh, you know, um, letting kids have the freedom to make mistakes and grow from them without it hounding them for the rest of their lives. And so it's the same thing with kids. You have to like figure out what do they care about? Cause you know, kids are unique too. And you have to figure out what do they, do they want to defend? Like you said, like their Fortnite accounts and stuff like that. Or do they want to, uh, you know, the not V bucks. They love the V bucks. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I don't, I don't either, but I know it's a Fortnite thing. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, yeah, or, you know, they want to, they want to be able to talk to their friends. And I think, um, well, actually let me backtrack real quick. And I, I think that it's also, I, I think one thing I see a lot in the privacy community, and this applies to adults, but could also be applied to kids is I feel like a lot of people try to overwhelm people with, with information. You know, it's like, like somebody recently told me that I should do another Linux, Linux video where I dive in a little bit deeper into things like the command line. And I, I, I don't think that's a bad idea, but at the same time, you know, when, and I, I think I mentioned I got my mom using a, she put Linux Mint on an old laptop she found one time. And like, at no point did I tell her about the command line. You know, it's like, oh, here's the software store. Here's the web browser. Here's all these things. And eventually we'll get to the command line. But right now it's like, that's just so overwhelming for people to learn so much at once. And same thing with kids. Like you don't necessarily have to explain to them how DNS works and TCP IP stacks and, you know, the OSI model and all this crap. Like they, they don't, I mean, if they want to learn by all means, feel free, but you know, they don't, like, nobody has to know how a secure password works in order to use a secure password. I guess just making it, like, age-appropriate and, you know, tailored to their interests. But then in regards to the second part about, like, setting kids up with a phone that's configured, if, if you're talking about, like, from a parental control perspective, I would recommend an iPhone just because I know they have that integrated and ready to go and it's super easy. I think Google has recently rolled out something similar. Um, I haven't dealt with it, so I don't know how it stacks up. I know a couple years ago I have a friend who's a parent who was using it. And it sounded very clunky and not as fleshed out as iPhone. But again, that was a couple years ago. So maybe it's improved by now. But I also, I, I agree with what Henry said about like compromising with kids because the fact of the matter is you can't, and I, I know I'm going to piss off all the parents out there when I say this, you can't really control your kids. Like you can't stop them. Like my mom, I'll say this. I grew up in a conservative home. My mom banned me from listening to Slipknot 
because they have like the masks and they look like the death and you know the whole like heavy metal and she didn't call them satanic or anything but she's just like no like that's a negative influence i don't want that in the house i listened to slipknot in high school she was none the wiser i put it on my iphone or not iphone um ipod she never saw the albums like she had no idea that i listened to slipknot in high school you can't really stop your kids from doing things so what i have a really good story on this one actually Um, oh boy (laughs) i don't know i don't think my mom watches the surveillance reports so i think i'm safe my Um, mom does but i've already told her that story so i don't care (laughs) i don't think i told my mom this story my mom went through a phase where she had find my friends on my iphone back in high school and i was not having it for obvious (laughs) reasons it's like (laughs) i don't need you spying on everywhere i'm going um, especially because I, I feel like I generally like would let her know before I went. And, like, I'm so happy smartphones didn't exist till I got out of high school. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's a nice thing. <laughs> but yeah, so she was using Find My Friends, and so uh, back then I had a jailbroken iPhone, and there was a great tweak from Cydia um, <clears throat> that allowed you to falsify your Find My Friends location. You could just select <laughs> any marker in the world. And so I remember once it also notified you when a person tracked your location. Nice. So I could tell when my mom was looking up where I was. And so the tool that like you, that this person is using to track me now becomes a tool that I can use against them. Uh, not every kid will be like that way. I'm not saying they all will, but uh, that was how I dealt with the situation. And I do remember once I was at the lake uh, with some of my friends and I got like four notifications. And I was like, oh my gosh, like leave me alone. And so I... I, I didn't even care at that point if I was discovered for using this tool because I didn't. Oh, boy. So I put my location to just the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Just, <laughs> like, I'm done. Um, so I, I was going to say, I'd be the smart aleck who puts it in, like, Mexico City or Tijuana <laughs> or something. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really funny. I don't know if she ever saw it or anything like that, but I did leave it there for a few hours. Um, I thought that, that's a fun story to share. Fun. Um. Yeah, but just like like that, case in point. Like kids are, are going to be kids. And I, I don't think that means you shouldn't try, but I think it means you should, um, like Henry said, you should focus on making them understand why. Because even as an adult, I am, you know, obviously I'm not difficult for the sake of being difficult these days anymore, usually. I, I function better as an employee if I understand why we're doing something, um, partially because I'm really good at my job. And if I know why we're doing it, I might think of a better way to do it, but also it just, it helps me to visualize like, here's why we're doing this. Here's how the finished product has to look. Here's the best way to go about doing this X, Y, Z. And kids are the same way. You know, if you just tell them like, no, you can't have Snapchat. They're just going to get a second phone or like, you know, one of their friends is going to give them an old phone or something. They're going to find a way to put Snapchat on the phone and you'll never know about it. And now they're exposed because you were a jerk about it and just like, no. But if you work with them and find like, okay, fine. I don't want you to have Snapchat, but if you're going to do it, Let's at least, you know, let's look at the permissions. Let's set a strong password. Let's see if we can use voice over IP number and explain to them why that is. Explain to them how voice over IP can be tracked and explain what metadata is and why, you know, you don't want them tracking that metadata and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's really important to, like, treat your kids like adults. Like, okay, they may not be ready to, like, get married and vote, but at the same time, like, they're still not stupid. Yeah, They're, they're smarter than you think they are, and they'll... If you work with them and respect them, I, I think they'll return the favor. So yes to all of that, and I was I was cracking <clears throat> up over here because like I remember my mom would take away my phone constantly, and I would just every time she was like, "I'm gonna take your phone away," I just quickly took out my paper clip and took out the SIM card. And I had the old <laughs> iPhone four, just popped that in, and everything was good to go. So I always had the backup phones, and if I couldn't take out the SIM card in time, um, I had everything set up on the laptop, and everything was synced to the laptop, and I had some backup phone numbers in place. So. Oh, I yeah. do think I was probably the worst kid to try to control digitally. I don't think I'm the norm there. But I think it just goes to show that people will find workarounds. And I would argue I'm not a parent, so this is coming from a very uneducated place, so don't take my word for it. But my guess is that all these discussions should have started happening. These discussions are not actually – like if these discussions go poorly, and I know this is probably something hard to hear, it's probably because – there isn't an already well-established relationship for those discussions to happen. I think this is stuff that, like, should be developed over the course of years. <laughs> but that's a hot take, maybe, and I don't really want to go too much into that because I don't want to make anyone upset. You know, what that, that does, um, the last point I want to make is we desperately need more parent perspectives in the privacy community. Underrepresented, so, like, for sure. If I wasn't married, I wouldn't have... 
like we have one of the Wi-Fi networks on the router doesn't have a VPN on it because sometimes, you know, you just need something that's faster and, and not like hidden behind a VPN. Like if I wasn't married, I wouldn't have a smart TV. I wouldn't have any unprotected networks. I like, I would be doing things so much more hardcore than I am, but like, you know, you need to make that compromise. And I, I feel like comfortable speaking about that kind of stuff because I'm in that situation. And like, it's, you know, so many of the voices out there and like, this is not a dig in anybody, but like me, you, uh, Michael Basil, like, as far as I know, every, even the good creators on YouTube, like none of them are parents or at least none of them talk about it. And like, obviously we're not saying like, go out and tell us everything about your kid and post their ages and their pictures and stuff like that. Don't do that. But like, we desperately need more parents to weigh in and help other parents and other people who are in those situations. Like, here's what I did. Here's what worked for me. Here's what I tried and it fucking failed miserably. Like, you know, I share those stories every now and then on my blog. Like, hey, I tried something this weekend and it backfired. Like, let me tell you so you can learn from my mistakes. Like, and again, like I said, kids, kids are unique. I, I mean, you know, everyone's unique to an extent, but like kids are unique. So obviously what works for one parent may not work for another parent, but just like having more of those voices out there. Cause like it's, yeah, parenting is one of those things that's really hard to talk about from the outside. I know for a fact, it's totally different when you are a parent. So if you're a parent who's into this stuff, by all means, like start a blog or something. We need more of that. And I already have the perfect name for you. Uh-oh. Privacy mom or the, the privacy mom or the privacy <laughs> dad. Like, it's just waiting. There you go. There's a freebie from Henry. It's just waiting. And that will be it for the week. We had a lot of news this week. We have a new privacy-oriented phone that could turn out to be very, very promising. We'll learn. We'll keep you updated as we learn more. The U.S. and the EU are discussing data flows. We'll keep you updated when we hear from the EU's perspective on that. A bunch of data breaches and lawsuits. Uh, pizza is no longer safe anymore. Just terrible, terrible. But, you know, lots of news. And as always, we'll keep you updated as we learn more. And we'll have new stories next week, the whole nine. Speaking of next week, if you want to keep us going, help us be sustainable, we have Patreon and Monero. Patreon is fiat currency. It's recurring. It offers you little bonuses, like you get to ask a question like Petrified did this week. Uh, you get a copy of the show notes in case you just need to skim through it real fast. Well, I was going to say, we also have a section that doesn't have this little pitch, which I know probably gets annoying to hear every single week. So, you know, feel free to do that. And, uh, you know, we have Monero, which unfortunately doesn't get you any of those perks. But the plus side is it's a lot more privacy respecting. We don't know anything about you. All we see is that you've donated and we appreciate the support very much. It helps keep us going. Thank you guys so much for listening to Surveillance Support. As always, final thing to ask is please share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed. Give us a rating if you're on a platform where that's an option. We're trying to reach as many people as possible with the message of privacy. And you can help us do that. Every little bit helps. So thank you again for listening. And we'll see you guys back here next week.